Today, Lord, we are grateful to you and we thank you for the word of God. And we recognize that in this passage today, we are at a point uh, in this message where we need to listen very carefully. Our matters may be taken out of context. Would you give guidance and direction? We thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to share. And looking at the context and what was happening at the church at this time, we thank you that in your word, you don't hide the problems that the church has faced. The uglies, the goods, <laughs> the bads, the things that were concerning, you put it right there. And when we consider the heart of Apostle Paul, we pray today that you will give us an understanding. When we consider him, he had a love for people and yet for order. So we honor you and we thank you. Now give us ears to hear. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're at a point in the service where we're going to have to deal with a very uh, difficult passage. And I need you to listen carefully <clears throat> that if not, you will take it wrong as it deals with women in ministry. The pastoral letters, there are three, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Whenever you look at scripture, you always have to consider what was happening. The church had real problems. And because of the problems that the church faced and the church church being possibly overrun by false teaching, the Apostle Paul had to be very direct. And so today he deals with the matter of women in ministry and makes some very hard statements that was plaguing the church in Ephesus, in Asia. Yet we know that in Paul's ministry, there were women that he worked with and that he labored with. But in Corinth and in Ephesus, he said that this matter of women in ministry as an elder has to stop. There are problems, and we're going to look at that today. And yet, even in this passage, the Apostle Paul, in instructing Timothy to handle these matters, he doesn't identify the major issues, at least there's not consensus what the real issues were until you look later on in the book of First Timothy and also into Second Timothy. Today I'm going to go back and read in First Timothy a portion of what we read, well, what we read last week, but focusing on verses, on verses 11 through 15. This is how it reads in First Timothy chapter 2. I believe it's verses 8 through 15, but again, I'll be focusing on 11 through 15. First Timothy 2, 8. I desire then, then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or, excuse me, or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And we dealt with that last week in regards to what Paul was addressing. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet... She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Today we're going to deal and break down this matter of what Paul is dealing with. Now we have to keep in mind 
that Paul's correction is to the males and to the females. Remember, when he said Timothy, timid Timothy, timid Timothy, fearful Timothy, I want you to stay right there in Ephesus, he said. Don't go anyplace. Don't let anyone run you off because of your age. You're young. But you stay there because I have to remain in Macedonia. And I left you there, Timothy, because I know there's a calling on your life. you got to straighten out some things in that church in Ephesus. They are having some problems. There's false teaching taking place. And if that false teaching by the males, if that is not corrected, it's going to destroy the church. First, Timothy, I want you to keep them and stop them from teaching. As Paul moves on, he now is at the place where he has to address the women that are there. Now, get this. Christianity brought a dignity to the women and, in fact, ministry. You have to look at various scriptures and to have, you have to look at these matters and look at what Paul has to address and what he is addressing. We're not going to go back to all the scriptures, but we'll point some of them, some of them out. So Paul has to address the males, and now he is addressing the women. It can be easy to isolate the message that Paul states that women were to remain quiet and they were to learn quietly with all submissiveness and not understand that Paul is telling men as well to stop preaching false doctrine. Paul was addressing, I said, a real problem in the church at Ephesus. And as I said, this is not completely known to us what the exact problem is, but we can glean as we look at certain matters. Paul also told the same thing to the women in in Corinth. Even though when you look at chapter 11, you'll notice that women were praying and prophesying in the church. But Paul gave order and and instructions of how it had to be done because there was chaos and disorder in the church. Let me say this. Whenever you have chaos and disorder, you have all types of things that can creep in. When I'm at a job, my office, in, well, I was in San Rafael, now it's at the house. There were certain matters that I had to address as a director, as a clinical director, And as I reflect back, I was a little timid. I didn't want to address certain issues because I was young and felt like, well, if I say something, you know, they may not like me. None of y'all ever had that problem. That's just me. (laughs) Or or I I don't want to ruffle feathers. I was supervising people older than me from different agencies. And even though they had their supervisor, but because of this coordinated effort we were doing, I was supervising the public health nurse, a probation officer, community mental health worker, a child protective services worker, amongst the other staff there. And I had to run the meetings. Well, I was just telling Sister Michelle today that when this job first came through, I didn't want to take it. In fact, I turned it down because I was doing some other things. The job came back again a second time, even bigger. I said, no. Then I talked to my dad. I said, you know, I need to talk to you about something. So we took a drive to Petaluma. We talked, and I told him the situation, and I wasn't really wanting to take it. And he says, well, how do you know that the Lord has not called you (laughs) and put you in this place for such a time as this and for this job? Oh, really? 
Okay. Thought about it. I, I didn't give the director an answer for a while, almost a month. And when she said, you know, we, I need an answer, I asked her, could I have the weekend to think about it more? <laughs> now, if, if some of you know the Gideon that had the fleece that he put out, he said, Lord, if you are really in this, I need some evidence. I need to know. I need to be sure that you're in this. So I put my own little fleece out. His prayer was, Lord, if this is you, allow the fleece to be wet in the ground, the rest of the ground dry in the morning when I get up. Well, the Lord did that. The fleece, he wrung out a bowl, a, full, a bowl full of water while everything was dry, was dry around. But Gideon was not, oh, he was not completely convinced. He, he said, can I, can I ask again, this time, would you make the fleece dry? And everything around wet. The Lord did it. Gideon had his answer. Well, I put my own little fleece out. It was a small thing, but it was important to me. I got up early that morning and came to the church and prayed. My little fleece was, okay, Lord, if I'm supposed to take this job, I'm going to put you to the test. I got here when it was still dark. After praying, I was tired. I said, Lord, I'm going to go to sleep. And if I'm to take this job, I want you to wake me up at exactly Eight o'clock. Not a minute before, not a minute after. I went to sleep. I didn't set no alarm, nothing. I opened my eyes. The sun was blaring. I looked at the clock in the office. It was eight o'clock straight up. I said, okay, Lord. I get the message. I gave my answer that day. That week, everything in hell went wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to say that, huh? Well, it did. <laughs> my God, oh, my wife said, if this is how it's going to be, maybe you should turn that job down. <laughs> but I know that God was in it. Now, let me just say this as I conclude. I'll tell my testimony about this even more later on. When I went to that job... People are trying to say, we sh- you, sh- you shouldn't go because we need to make a statement. They want to provide services here. They didn't come to the community. And I was kind of thinking, well, I'm, not, I don't wanna, I'm doing other things anyway. But then I thought later, well, maybe I can go in and make changes on the inside. I'm now the executive director of that agency. Years later. While everybody else is gone, I'm the only one still there. Funding has always been an issue. I'll be coming to church. I don't know what's going to happen with the funding. We're at our point. I would be telling the praise team. God would always work something out. When we look at roles in the church and on the job, we have to make sure that we are operating within the context of what God's role is. Let me give you the title of the sermon, which is Honoring God in My Unique Role. Women had a very unique role in the church. But Paul says, Timothy, because of the problems, I am not permitting them to speak. I'm not allowing them to be an overseer of the church. The false teachers evidently have been placing some of the women in charge. And some of them are coming out of certain types of religions. There was things that the false teachers were teaching that wasn't right. And as they put certain ones in an office and put them in front, evidently it was causing confusion and disturbances. And so Paul says, I'm not going to permit that. That can't happen. 
And here's timid Timothy, the one that has to correct it. As I mentioned in Corinthians, Paul gave order in regards to how the roles were to be carried out. There wasn't women's lib or anything back then. When you look at the context, yes, it was a male-dominated society. There were roles. But let me tell you this. You never find in Scripture God telling men that you are to rule over a woman in a way that was abusive, aggressive, or anything else. The Lord told men, you are to love your wife. And that meant that you are to care for that person. That means that you put her interest first. See, there was a protective quality that God instituted in the relationship. And what oftentimes people may take out of context, they see, the, they see a word or a content and think, oh, how could that be? But not understanding what God's heart and mind is, even what Paul's is as he relays God's word. Some commentators, as I mentioned, were believing that some of the false teachers were putting some of the women in position and then manipulating them where there were vulnerabilities. And you'll see later on as Paul has to even address the matter of widows in the church. So Paul is addressing the false teachers in this potential problem. He now has to have Timothy stop the false teaching from the women in the role that they had taken on in a way that wasn't helpful. Remember in the book of Acts, it was Paul who worked with Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla had been ejected from Rome because of the Christ. Jesus, Christos, Christ, Jesus Christ. And when you consider this matter, when they left, because they were tent makers, they met Paul and because of the ministry, they began to partner together in making tents and even in ministry. And you will discover in the book of Acts that there was a young man named Apollos who was a minister. Thank you, Brother Small. And in this matter of Apollos, he was teaching the word of God accurately. But there was a problem in that fact that he didn't know about the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of Christ. He had only the baptism of John. So in other words, his message was not complete. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, the Bible says that they as a couple pulled Apollos aside and explained to him more fully the scripture. Now. Here's a little note for you. When Aquila, the husband, and Priscilla, the wife, are first introduced in Scripture, you find Aquila mentioned first. But when the names come up again in Scripture, you always find Priscilla mentioned before her husband. Why is that? It's because they felt that she had a lead role in the ministry. So her name, or a more prominent position, or was Maybe the head in some aspect, but her name is often listed first. So we know that Paul is not opposed to women in ministry, but he is stating clearly there has to be a role that has to be honored. And so in this matter here in Ephesus, Paul comes very strong and says, no, this can't be. 
One of the ideas that we look at in the passage that we read, let a woman, verse 11, learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. That word quiet actually comes from a reference dealing with the word submission. When you look at the word submissive and quiet, it comes from the same word. It is a voluntary act in the matter of roles, in the matter of the wife or the woman. It's a matter of submission. Now, you cannot tell me that a man's going to tell his wife, you're going to do what I tell him he can't. But there's going to be some type of rebellion somewhere. He can try to force the issue, but there is not going to be willful submission. There's going to be rebellion, even if it's not outwardly in the heart. So when the Lord says, husband, love your wives, and then when the woman submits, it is done because, oh, she's loved. She's cared for so that it's not a matter of having to submit because one has been an authoritarian. And so when Paul uses this word here, it is an act of will. It is an act of submitting out of reverence. Not because one is being forced to in that sense, but I'm willing in my role, very unique role. When you have disorder and the unwillingness to submit to order, it often requires a strong action or words to gain order. There are two qualities that Paul expresses for women as they avail themselves, one, to learning. First, in quietness. You see, in order to learn something, there requires this matter of quietness and submission. So Paul has actually been very sensitive because he is saying that I want them to learn, but here's the manner in which it has to happen. Because in the role here, it's different because while the men were teaching and were the outgoing, were the outspoken ones, the wife could also, or the women, because remember, the word actually is a reference in the Greek. It means woman in general, so not just wife, but it refers to woman in general. He says, and quietness and submission. In order to learn, one often has to hear. Sometimes a person says, oh, I hear you. But then the question comes back, well, did you really hear me? See, under the words that you hear, there's a message that's being delivered. And with that message, sometimes you have to hear what's behind the words. What does the person really say? So my wife says, and I say, is everything okay? Uh-huh, everything's okay. I say, mm, mm. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, well, wait a minute. It doesn't sound that way to me. There may be something behind it. Are you really okay? Well, and then you know there's something going on. Why? Because you get to know that individual and quietness and submission. If the women within Christianity are going to be effective in the role, it is going to require a willingness to learn in such a way that does not have them competing with the men that were giving them charge, the false teachers that were placing them in positions for whatever their, whatever their reasons were, and we come to find that out a little bit later, we don't see it here. Whatever their ultimate reasons were, Paul says, Timothy, you have to put a halt to it. There's a gifting, but right now in Ephesus, we must put a halt to it. We must keep in mind that Paul gives, that the address that Paul gives 
because we have problems in the church. Dishonoring the leadership of God puts people into a place of danger oftentimes. When one does not oftentimes deal with appropriately order, you have chaos. You have disturbances. Let me just reference this right now. Even when we consider what's happening in Portland, this is no longer related to George Floyd. There's this order over 50 days. Chaos. The mayor and governor, by trying to appease sin, did not understand that once sin is allowed to go or that which is rebellious without any checks or balances, it wants more. There is a way to do things in a respectful way or in an orderly fashion. But once one gives in to that which is unright in a way that is not healthy, it will lead to further problems. I'm give you an example. If you don't train a child at a young age and give them certain limits, if you don't train them with limits and they begin to rebel at a certain age, you don't put a pause to that. They will grow up thinking that that's the way they can respond to get what they want. And so some parents early on say, isn't that cute? Well, it may be cute initially, and they go, eh, when they're a little baby. But a three- and four-year-old coming and kicking you and hitting you, no, that's not cute. I don't know what to do. You are an adult. Yes, you do. If that goes unchecked, what happens is that you have kids growing up thinking then that society gets to be treated in the same way. And so when you appease and give in without limits, you often cannot get the control back. There's order. Even when one gets upset and has difficulties, there's order. When you look at the history of the church, you will often find squirmishes and certain issues coming up, splits and schisms happening. And there was order that had to be imposed in a certain way. I really thank God, and I tell you this, that he didn't hide the problems and the faults that occurred in the church. He exposed them and said, this is what it is, and this is how you have to deal with certain things. In verses 12 through 14, he talks about, I do not permit a woman to teach, and then for Adam being formed first. Now, let me give you this here. As I mentioned about Priscilla and Aquila, they worked as a team. They had leadership. When you look at Paul recognizing later in 2 Timothy, Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, he mentions them that, Timothy, you are instructed by your mothers and you are a godly man because of your grandmother first and your mother. You are what you are because of what was instilled in you because of them. When Paul went to a certain place in the book of Acts, he was looking for prayer and said that he joined the women that were down by the river praying. As Paul deals with this matter regarding roles, Paul goes all the way back and brings up Genesis as an example of how the initial order was. And it's very interesting in how it is laid out. It is interesting to note that when Paul uses this, it appears that he's using the matter of firstborn rights and privileges within the family context 
in the Jewish family. You see, the firstborn son was given double honor and recognition. And so that when there was the father who may have passed off the scene, the firstborn was responsible for taking care of the family as well as given a double portion because if the mother was left, he was also the one to take care of the mother. When Paul uses this argument or the statement that God's order that Adam was formed first, then Eve, Adam was not deceived. He is saying that in the role of firstborn, that Adam has this privilege and this right based on his status in the role as firstborn. And so therefore, because of that role that God placed him in, he is using that as part of his example as firstborn. Then he goes on and mentions that Adam was not deceived, but Eve was. Now that word that he actually used, it's not that Eve was just deceived. It is stated within one of these statements in the Greek that she was utterly deceived. The deception that was caused Interestingly enough that Satan bypassed Adam and spoke to Eve, the serpent, in the garden, so that she was deceived. Now, well, Adam was right there because the Bible says she gave him the fruit as he was right there with her. Adam didn't cover his wife. Why? I don't know. She was deceived. And the Bible says utterly. And so Paul uses this statement Paul's prohibition in reflecting on Adam and Eve and preventing women from being the overseer stems from this matter of Eve being very vulnerable. There's a vulnerability and roles can be manipulated. He goes on to talk about childbirth or the home. You see, one of the problems that occurred and occurs is that when the women were being overseers, evidently, There was the concern that if this was to go on, that the males would have a problem being able to teach the the younger male how to act and to respond in the home and that the wife in her role would not be. Now, Paul uses a very interesting word. Now, check this out in verse 15. With the word childbirth, he uses a word called synecdoche. Synecdoche is a word, and it's spelled, if you want to know the spelling, S-Y, N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. Synecdoche. Now, he uses this phrasing with childbirth. It means something that is used for a part, part that represents the whole or a whole that represents the part. Let me give you an example. If I was to say to you, the giants, let's say are playing a game, but I said that the Bay Area lost the game. You would understand that if there were only two teams to stay in this championship, that it meant the Giants didn't win. But you understood it when they said the Bay Area, which is not the Giants, but it represents the part. And the Giants representing the part represents the whole. When we say the Giants, one representing the Bay Area. When he uses this word childbirth, He does something very interesting. When he says she will be saved, no commentator believes that in the childbirth is what he is speaking about, she'll be saved. He uses the word dealing with her sins being forgiven. That's the word that Paul uses in the Greek when he mentions 
the matter of childbirth. So, take a look at this carefully. In verse number 15 of 1 Timothy, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay? Get this? She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. He uses the word saved, meaning forgiveness of sins, not that children would save her. Now, I want you to look here. We don't have noun pronoun agreement. If I was to say a statement, I, and then I said they, there would be not noun pronoun agreement. I would have to say myself and therefore he or she, or if I say we, they. Paul says she will be saved through childbearing, Eve, and then he uses the word if they continue in faith. Now he refers it back to the matter of the women that he's speaking about in Ephesus. He takes a singular matter, but expands it. So what is Paul saying? It's not childbirth, but Paul says in the role as the wife or the woman, he is reflecting on the whole role of the woman as a wife, as a mother, as a nurturer, as a role as working in the home, on the job. So what Paul is saying that the role that he is explaining here in this word childbirth represents the whole idea of the woman's role in her capacity. So he's not taking away. He's actually concerned that if she's put as an overseer, there's going to be a void in her role in the home. She won't be able to be the wife. She won't be able to be the one that goes out if there's work also. She won't be the child when we're in the child because there's sometimes a, an emotional attachment that kids have to the mother. God has just put that there. It will be compromised if she is an overseer. Overseeing the men, there's going to be a void in the home. So he's saying, as her role here, I don't want that to be compromised. But he's not saying that women can be in ministry. But in Ephesus, it was such a problem that he says, I don't permit it at all. Because it's out of control, it's a problem. And the men that have put them there, they are teaching false doctrine, and they are doing wrong, and they are manipulating. When you look at the context of the word of God and begin to break matters down, you begin to see that there is a protective quality and nature that God has in place for protection. As males were the covering and protection, it's important. I tell you this as I close. If you look at a person who's going to try to cause harm to a woman, they often will stop if they see a male coming through. They look for vulnerabilities. They look for ways, and if they see someone, they oftentimes will back out and back up. Why? Because of vulnerabilities. Why? It's roles. So as Paul helps Timothy here, it will be a very hard matter for him that he would have to address, and it would not go over well for some, but Paul has full confidence in Timothy and lays it out that in the role that we have in the church, if the church is going to function properly, then the household has to be functioning properly. And then Paul goes on in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, to begin to expound further on the matter of overseer. Then he talks about the roles of the family. See, Paul has a larger picture in view. He's concerned about the whole body, the church as well as the family. So when one takes one passage out of context, one will often miss 
the larger picture of the Word of God. As we conclude, when we look at God's Word, as I tell you, He deals with things head on. Some people think, as I said, that, oh, the Bible's a cop out. It doesn't deal with certain issues. Oh, yes, it does. It deals with them very directly, and it deals with them in such a way that when you began to dig into it, you can see the spirit behind it. And what was the intent? Whenever you look at a problem that starts, you need to look at well, what was the cause? What happened? Today, as we consider this matter of ministry and roles, there's a unique role that God has established for men and women in the church. Yes, there's leadership role. But in Ephesus and Corinth, there was a problem. Yes, and we end Last week when we just briefly mentioned, she was asked, could I reiterate about the rich women? There were many uh, rich women that were coming to the church out of the world, and many of them, uh, the way that they <clears throat> conducted themselves, the way that they showed um, their importance is, was through dress. Because if they were wealthy, everything was put into the dress. Their hairstyles their hairstyle were oftentimes inches way above the hair with gold and different jewelry through the hair, and it would represent how wealthy they were. And so when Paul mentions about braided hair and clothing, he was addressing a real issue that people and the women were focusing on as a matter of separating themselves and showing my wealth. And so, therefore, look at me, and the focus was not on the Lord. When one comes to church, when one comes to serve, our focus is to honor the king. But their focus was that I'm the one that attention should be focused on. And so that was the matter that he was addressing at that particular point. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. May the Lord honor his word. Amen. As we conclude today, I want to just let you know that I love you, first of all, and appreciate you. Lord, we thank you today for your goodness and we thank you for your mercy and your kindness. We recognize that we have a wonderful privilege and the roles that God you've given. May we honor you and we thank you that we are made in the image of God. We have mind, we have will, and we have intellect. We can reason, we can work together. And we are so grateful to you for your kindness and your love. We thank you for all that you're doing. Now, would you be with us? We thank you for the food pantry staff. We pray that you continue to bless for those that come, for those where food is taken to and needs are met, spiritually when we come to the church, we thank you. Now, as we leave this place today, would you keep us and would you guide us and would you lead us? We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. As one final thing, if you have prayer requests, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we are taking the request that comes on Sunday and then there are requests that come through the week. You can text us and then what we do we then write them down, and every name is called Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you have a request, we encourage you to uh, text us, and there's a group of people that will be praying for you. I want to say this. Liz, our dear Liz, lost her nephew through suicide this week. Uh, it's devastated the family. I spent time talking with her on Thursday. But let's keep those who have lost loved ones in prayer. Amen.